Hello and welcome to Fundraising Forward. I am Brittany Schaaf, the Global Vice President of Fundraising at Graduate. Today, folks, I have my two very good friends, Julie Knight, the Executive Director of Annual Giving at Carnegie Mellon, and Jeff Neal, the Assistant Vice President of Digital Engagement and Annual Giving at Loyola University of Chicago. Hey, friends, thanks for joining me today. Hello, hello. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? It's going well. Lovely, beautiful day in Chicago. Lovely and cold, I'm sure. So I yes. have to, <laughs> I have to say this is the first time I've had two people with me on the podcast. So thank you for doing this. And I cannot imagine a better topic with the two of you other than how to adopt technology in higher education advancement. But before we get started, let's just back it up. How did you all meet? I know you've known each other for a while, but how did you all meet? Um, I think that was at a conference uh, maybe a few years ago that we kind of ran into each other at maybe when we were affiliated with previous organizations um, and got to talk about data. That's my memory of it, but maybe there's a better one. Let's say I can give a good detail of the first moment I know that I met Julie, and apologies if we met briefly before this at the same conference, but yes, at, at a conference I remember being at the University of Virginia and Julie presenting on the analytics and data work that we're doing at uh, a previous institution and all of us in the room just kind of looking around like oh no <laughs> we're we're not doing anything compared to what they're doing and just the bar got raised on all of us really quickly and immediately I knew that that was probably you're probably gonna be the person I had to go to for all <laughs> data related questions going forward <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely the same conference. Yeah, <laughs> I was the person that was very nervous in the front. So um, I have a different memory of it, but it was the same place. Yeah, I was sad to be fair at the year before. That's when I met Brittany when I was the new person and standing all by myself and Brittany being Brittany came over and was hello. And then we spoke as if we had known each other forever. So that was nice. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, I feel, Jeff, that everyone feels the way you feel about Julie as like, whoa, she's light years ahead of me and my team when it comes to data, but I'm so glad I just met her. But I think that everyone can also admit that we come to you, Jeff, when it comes to anything around marketing innovation and you're being very modest about um, your own experience. Um, let's, uh, let's just jump right into it, if that's okay. Let's just really talk about technology adoption and higher ed advancement. And I think the first question that comes to mind is, why do you think we've been traditionally risk averse when it comes to adopting new technology and advancement, whether Julie, that's data technology or analytics supported, or Jeff, marketing technology or overall digital fundraising technology or anything in between. Why do you think we're risk adverse when it comes to just adopting it? Jeff, do you wanna go first? Yeah, sure. I can dive in. I think, yeah, I can't speak for every school. I know things are different everywhere, but I think one thing that is true is that sometimes higher ed can be a little bit slower moving in general with certain things than say a startup company or even a fortune 500 company. But more than anything, I think there's a lot of technology that kind of um, integrates in so many different departments and there's you know software providers that have handed so many different things that it's a little overwhelming at times to have to think and say like oh we're going to have to replace this 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 and this and this affects these different departments that i don't oversee and it's just kind of you know 
paralysis by analysis and we say like, oh, well, kick the can down the street type thing, especially because I know in annual giving, at least, you know, we're, we're measured year over year over year. So to take eight months to transfer out the technology could really drastically affect things. And, you know, everybody's in that same boat. Um, former VP of mine used to always refer to it as like Sisyphus from Greek mythology, where you, you push that boulder up the mountain and then, you know, July 1st or whatever your fiscal year is turns over and boom, boulders back down to the bottom, start over. And so if you take a large chunk of that away, that's predominantly what you've been focused on. And you can't, you, you just can't divvy up your time that much or have the resources to commit to properly doing that and driving your results at the same time. And I think some people that kind of, uh, kind of can frighten them for lack of a better term of, um, putting the time and investment into doing things the right way, perhaps, just because it may impede a year or two of progress. Yeah, I 100% agree with everything that Jeff said, and also, you know, with um, you know, the structures um, within institutions I've been affiliated with, you know, it's not just about the bureaucracy and getting all of the different um, teams in a room, let's say, if it's like payment processor, you need to get treasury, investment services, and then five other teams together, and just coordinating the calendar is hard, um, but then also for, you know, smaller things that um, it's more of an internal use um, for, let's say, a high hybrid annual giving structure, it's getting the um, support that's needed. And also, you know, with all the time that it would take to bring in a new technology, making sure that you're not wasting it in the sense that people are going to use it. And that's really hard because oftentimes, you know, people are stuck in the way things used to be or the way things are, and they're just kind of in that path. And it's really hard to break the path and be like, this is something new. It's going to save you a lot of time. Um, the other thing is thinking about it in terms of, you know, they're used to doing all of their work in a certain way and being, you know, I've been the new person at a few places and being that new person, sometimes it's, it's hard to be able to change hearts and minds um, quickly. And so I would say, you know, the structure as well as the bureaucracy would definitely be one of the things that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think um, we've all kind of been there. I think anyone listening to this episode right now is all kind of just nodding like, uh-huh, yep, been there, been there 15 times, been there, right? Um, and for those of you who are listening, we agree. We're all nodding right now. You can't see it, but we, we really are. Let's talk about how we've gone about getting the adoption, right? So both of you are innovators in your own right and, and perhaps slightly different ways. And you've all onboarded new technology, whether that's, Julie, I know you've onboarded multiple sets of data technologies in your career. Um, and Jeff, I know you've onboarded digital fundraising and digital marketing technologies in your career. So any advice that you can give to our listeners on your approach to getting that buy-in, whether that is buy-in um, vertically, you know, up to your boss, to your boss's boss, vertically to your peers, or even that decentralized buy-in where you have to lead with influence with those decentralized university partners. Any advice you can share? I would say um, from my experience for leadership or for partners, it's been um, really based on two things. One is, um, you know, 
speaking the lingo, talking the talk in the sense that, you know, I'm going to communicate um, the value of something new, particularly like a, a new technology that I really want differently based on who I'm, who I'm discussing it with, you know, because I want to make it applicable to, um, you know, their needs, right? And so if I'm talking about from a gift officer's perspective, I'm going to be talking about maybe about how this is going to help with qualification and to speed things up. Um, on the flip side, if I'm talking about with leadership, I'm talking about like the ROI and sometimes they dovetail, but sometimes they're very different conversations to have. Um, the other thing that um, I you know, quickly do is become the champion of it. So um, that's something that I've recently done with a technology that we had in-house at Carnegie Mellon that we weren't really using um, to its fullest extent. And I wanted to be able to not just renew the agreement, but also to be able to expand the use. And so I went out and created like a simple standard operating procedure, which you both know I love SOPs. Um, so created something very simple, like a one pager, but again, you know, using the right language with the right audiences and said like, look, this is how it can make your process more efficient or your day-to-day -day easier. And then um, really championed it, brought them together with the vendor and expanded the contract. So instead of being like two portals, it's like six portals now. Um, but those are that definitely the two ways that I've done the buy-in process that have been really effective. Jeff, before I come to you, I just want to make sure I heard that. Everyone who knows Julie knows that she loves her SOPs. I can attest to this directly. But Julie, can you clarify, are you making standard operating procedures per unit you're working with, or are you creating one overall standard operating procedure and then trying to create maybe like variable text within it based on the unit that you're talking to? It's more about the variable text. And that's partially because I know from, you know, working with some units, they're just not going to have the capacity to be able to come into this. So I'll send it to them, but I don't want my team or myself to put in a lot of time to be able to to um, have something that's customized specifically for each one. So I'll kind of have a standard one and then maybe I'll personally carve out some variable language that would be less about the unit and maybe more about the audience I'm trying to get to. So if I'm trying to get to athletics gift officers, it's going to be very different than talking to athletics um, uh, annual giving folks. Makes sense. Jeff, what about you? Uh, very much along the same lines. I think, you know, no matter what your, your level is in the organization, I think you have to treat it as though you're, you know, the head of the show at that point. And you, you have to take it upon yourself to not only be, you know, the champion of that you know, technology, as Julie mentioned, but you have to do your homework to know enough about what everyone else does and needs to answer those questions effectively and say, like, this is why we're doing this. It's to help you in X, Y, or Z ways. You know, that's, that's the only way, really, that people can truly get on board is if they know that this is, you know, the time is worth it to them. Uh, I think that predates anything for me working in higher ed advancement, that's the same as I worked in the sports industry. I worked at a Fortune 500 retailer in marketing and all of them are the same. You know, retail industry, if you were doing a new type of marketing or research technology, um, the buyers, the, you know, the merchandisers, they wanted to know that the data you were getting from there would help them make better decisions as well so that their numbers looked better. And if I could show them that it would, then I had their buy-in, which made it a lot easier to sell it up uh, as we were going through that process you know, of an FRP or whatever it may be with another vendor. Um, and again, the same goes uh, for any technology in higher ed. I 
it'd be very hard for me to pass something through that made our lives much better in the annual giving world or maybe digital engagement and didn't positively affect at least someone else in the least. You know, that's, that's a tough sell. Uh, we've, you know, we've recently put in kind of a content creation team here uh, and we're still in the process of it. And it's not just to make some annual giving messages pop a little bit better or engage even with our alumni better. Those are main tasks of it. But it also will help us, you know, prepare a major gift officer with some added firepower as they go into those conversations with their donors to talk about the things that, you know, we are hoping that they will invest in with our institution. It's one thing to say, you know, we have all these great things going on and, you know, your gift will really help us, you know, power that forward. It's another thing to visually see it and put it into action to hear from the researchers doing the work, to hear from the students who would benefit. You can't do that unless someone actually puts it together uh, and pushes that through. So I think the more that we think of ourselves as a central function of advancement as a whole and less digital engagement, annual giving, data, analytic, whatever it may be, uh, the better off we'll be and the more success we'll have getting things pushed forward and overall just success for the business. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that. I'd almost break it down, Jeff, to say that the way in which that you're adopting your strategy and thus perhaps even the technology, technology you all need to do so is by going back and taking a very business approach to marketing rather than traditional higher education marketing, which would be lead generation, right? So creating strategic content in almost like a drip form based on who you're talking to to generate more interest, to generate more conversions, in this case, conversion of engagement or conversion of giving. Is that essentially what you're trying to build at Loyola Chicago? Absolutely. And it's something where, you know, every institution's in a different phase of their lives, I think, when it comes to fundraising. Um, what I had seen from some peer institutions and, you know, a prior institution was there had been success in the past and kind of resting on those laurels a bit too much. And, rather than adapting to where people are today. And with that comes that you have to um, know that maybe those major gifts, you know, people further along in their careers who are already invested in your institution that may continue to work for them. But obviously we need to continue building pipeline, continue bringing in new donors, engaging our young alums and our students before they become young alums. And, and so how are we gonna go about doing that? They have no experience with what worked in the past, that's not going to work for them necessarily. So we need to put the time and effort into figuring out what works and you know, invest in that. And we, at times we're gonna have to live in both worlds there. We're gonna have to rely on our major gift officers to speak the language that works for their individualized donors. But in our world, we're working with mass communication. So if, for us makes the most sense to see out in the world, not in philanthropy, not in higher ed, in the world, what is the best way to engage perspective, customers perspective, donors perspective, clients, and I think lead generation and you know engagement is where that begins pretty much every time with every type of business and it's no different for us. So then let's, let's go to the next topic on that one then. 
if both of you, and I think I know Julie's already doing this, but if both of you are trying to create a lead generation tactic, what for acquisition, acquisition of engagement, acquisition for giving, what tech are you trying to use to foster that approach? So I may say we kind of before we had to be involved in everything. Uh, I think it's um, foolish to assume that there's the correct channel for any segment at all, quite frankly, anymore. Uh, there's a lot of noise in the market. There's a lot of, um, you know, ad buys. There's everything going on right now. And not only that, in addition to there being more competition from I don't think there's ever been more nonprofits that could be as niche as humanly possible to really target that one thing you really care about that we are now competing with. There's also just more competition in how to spend your extra dollars in general. And it's easier and easier and easier to make those purchases. And so two things, one is that we have to make the giving process easier and easier and easier rather than being okay with that seven step process that may have been okay online in the past. And also in terms of the acquisition, we need to find the things that are relevant to our potential donors and make sure they at least are aware of it in an engagement fashion and begin putting that out there as this is a place you can give philanthropically that involves your institution and what you care about. So if we have a history of donors from let's say a business school that we've continued to ask them year over year for their support to the business school and their support to the school as a whole. And even if we're extremely successful, there's gonna be a large portion, well over half that have not responded philanthropically and that's okay. So rather than continue to beat that drum, why don't we try to find some other things that maybe they are interested in that we are doing. There is a host of amazing things that are going on at our university right now that are extremely relevant to some of the top um, philanthropic areas in giving in the US that we are doing at Loyola. So we need to do our job to tell that story to them, to say, here's how your institution is actually helping fight these fights out in the world and create change. And here's how you can impact change in the same way you wanted to through your institution that you attended. And here's why you should be proud of your institution and a proud alum, because we are doing that work today. Well said, giving through your institution rather than to it to make impact. Julie, anything to add? It's hard to follow that, Jeff. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, the only thing that I would add is um, in terms of our lead generation, it's really focused on our students right now. Um, that's an area that because of you know the pandemic and being in hybrid mode and on and off campus over the past year, um, it's one area that we've seen um, some you know decline and then bounce back in our donor numbers. And so recognizing that we only have you know a few years with particular undergraduates um, trying to think of like really clever ways, not just to always think 
from you know my very um, rational perspective, like the end goal is the gift to be thinking about in terms of the actual just engagement and thinking about new ways to engage. And so um, we're just at the nascent stage of using um, social media for um, engagement and for lead generation with our students in particular and trying to get them involved a little bit more, um, starting with giving day, um, but also, you know, just, you know, who doesn't love a, a freebie or a premium and trying to, you know, get them to come in like the seniors to come in and take, you know, some socks and just say like, you know, thank you for being a senior that type of thing. So um, the, the difficulty that we're having is measuring it though, as anything, um, especially when it's, you know, someone's coming and getting something for free, like how do you measure it? Is it just the, the premium or is it the engagement? And so um, those are just different ways that we're trying to work kind of on the ground to be able to uh, make up for lost time over the last year. Got it. Everyone loves a freebie, let's be honest. Um, but I hear you on trying to measure it, but everyone does like a freebie. I'm assuming everyone likes socks where you are too, since it's pretty cold right now, Julie, up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned it um, just now about your giving day. Obviously, Carnegie Mellon just had a historic giving day. Um, Jeff, Loyola's is coming up. I'm sure it's going to be historic as well. Just quickly, do you both believe that giving days should be used for acquisition? Or do you believe that giving days should be balanced in terms of uh, strategy for acquisition and retention? I look at it more for acquisition and retention of our previous giving day donors because um, I'd love to believe that annual giving started when I arrived. Um, it didn't. Um, this is our seventh year doing it. And so as a result, you know, we can track, you know, our repeated donors for giving days. And we definitely have um, what I like to call kind of the purists that are, you know, going to get solicited throughout the fiscal year, but they wait and make that gift on exactly giving Tuesday, which is phenomenal. Um, but as a result, it can't just just be about acquisition because I need to be able to retain those folks year to year. Yeah, I would look at it as, you know, it could serve a few different needs, but acquisition is always going to be one of those main advantages of doing one. And I say that because I think it's almost like an introduction to being philanthropic towards the university in a way that makes a little bit more sense um, to, to some alums who maybe have not yet made that leap to give back to the school. And um, not only that, I think the ability to make it an easier transaction, you know, have that fun rallying cry of all the alums coming together, I think it helps break down some barriers, especially in the annual giving world of what does my small gift mean when you say, well, multiply your small gift by that number over there on the ticker, and that's what it means. And, you know, I know that, you know, Brittany, I know we've had this conversation before where it's sometimes if, if everybody raves about how easy it is to give on a giving day, why aren't we doing that 365 days a year? Not to say every day is a giving day, of course, but to say, why don't we break down the barriers of the difficulty to make a transaction the way an Amazon has, you know, to give? And there's those preconceived notions, and this goes back to what we were kind of talking about earlier of convincing other departments of things where, it may be harder to reconcile who's an alum, who's a spouse, who's what grad year, what affiliations do they have and all those things. But how much of that can be done after the transaction versus how much of it needs to be done before the transaction is I think something that we haven't investigated enough and put thought into changing some things around because 
the digital giving world just based on when it was kind of created was made to fit into a traditional giving world rather than vice versa, keeping it its own thing and moving people the other way around. I think roughly everyone is now comfortable making online transactions, whether it be a purchase, a donation or anything else. So our job isn't to make that harder once we get them there. We put so much effort into getting people to get to the page. And then we need to make it as easy as humanly possible at that point, which means show them their impact and why it's gonna be important. Show them, let them get exactly to where they want that gift to go and what they want it to benefit at your institution. And then make it easy to just put in the information and go and be done and share it out with everyone else to convince all their friends to do the same. And so that's that's truly where I see, you know, a lot of this um, upside and movement going. Yeah, I think uh, I think we are all in agreement, uh, those who are listening, perhaps Julie and myself right now, because we're the only ones on the call with you, Jeff, but we don't need to make it harder to make a transaction. I think that's where actually technology does come in, right? Like we are teams of five um, or 10 um, or 15 or 20 or 30, but we're likely not to double or triple our FTE size, right? And so I think that's where when we need to adopt technology, we need to not just realize what technology we need for now, but what is for the long-term. And is that company, is that tech, that tech stack going to evolve? Can we see that evolution already with that company? Because that's what we're going to also be investing in, right? It's that true partnership and you know, having an Amazon-like experience, like abandoned carts on your giving day helps with that, but having streamlined analytics for your giving day also helps with that, right? And so those are things that you're not just bringing on tech to have tech, but you're bringing on technology to make it so your fundraisers can be more focused on fundraising or your writers can be more focused on writing, right? And, and do what they're, uh, they're experts at. I know we're gonna wrap up in a second, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. You both have really distinct backgrounds before you came into fundraising or annual giving. Is there one technology that you've used in the past that you don't think anyone's really using right now in the advancement space that you think would be beneficial? I thought long and hard about this question. And um, in thinking about it, I think that many um, programs might be using it. But one thing that I know that I want to implement for um, annual giving at Carnegie Mellon is really trying to use Python more um, in terms of the um, you know transformation of data, um, the the loading and analysis of data um, at an undisclosed time and place. Um, in the past, um, we created a bot in like two days to to comb data off of a public website. And it really was something that we could run in the background on a computer and it freed up a staff member's time um, for like four hours a week. Um, so that was something that was a big game changer for that person because it was a very repetitive basic task. Um, and so if we could have something similar, not that you know that would replace all of um, the staff, but if we could do something similar to make our data people's um, time more useful and um, using it better, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, from my perspective, uh, I kind of came up with two things here that, again, Julie, to your point, some institutions are probably doing this um, and some maybe are not. Know where I've worked yet in higher ed is doing this, but uh, marketing automation uh, to truly put people through that, you know, donor journey um, from acquisition 
to from engagement to acquisition and on through the pipeline, I think is something we really need to invest in that we did really well in the sports industry to get people from a sales phone call to a follow-up email to another one based on how they interacted with that to what happened when they made the purchase, so on and so forth until they became a season ticket holder. And even then, how do we make them a higher level season ticket holder? Uh, we've had some conversations about it. We want to do it. There's other nonprofits who do it very well. I think because of how fragmented it can be in higher ed with so many different allocations you could possibly give to, so many affiliations you can have, it just, you stare at it and you say, where do we go with this? Um, how, do we, how do we choose our segments and the routes that they go in that decision tree? And that, that can make it tough. And once again, I know a lot of institutions are using a technology that is also intertwined with their giving pages and 13 other things. And so you can't just change the one and then not change the other 12. And that's you know a, a problem that many of us have faced, I think, at other places that you know I think I think is pretty commonplace. And then in addition to that, I would say um, you know, social listening tools um, I think could be hugely beneficial when it comes to um, you know, better engagement, especially during peak times like a reunion weekend or a giving day, um, and finding sentiment and those types of things of what's going on. We used it a lot, um, again, in the sports world to see kind of um, how things were going, you know, with our season when we'd announce certain pieces of news and that type of thing. And I think finding those times where you can capitalize and quickly see what is resonating with folks who follow you and what is not is gonna make our decision process that much quicker and maybe help us find out, as I was alluding to earlier, what are those things we should be talking to people out for an acquisition strategy rather than um, kind of going through the traditional A-B test, take a while to take in the results, move on, so on and so forth. It just, anytime we could speed up that process, uh, we all benefit, I think, a little bit from that. Well said. Um, I feel like we jammed a lot into this session and I'm so, so grateful. I'm going to do a really, a really atrocious job right now trying to recap this conversation. You can tell me that I've missed 15 points, but I'm going to try to knock it into three. Uh, but for those of you who are listening, my recap of this conversation is you're always going to need technology and you're always going to need to adopt it. But the way in which you try to do so is really what's going to matter. So include all people that you can, include your peers, include your leadership, include people on your teams, and bring it to them with a standard operating procedure that makes sense for them. Make your giving process as easy as possible. The amount of time you focused on getting people to your page is the same amount of time that you should devote to making it easy for them to donate. And ways to maybe press a little bit forward, if you're trying to be even more innovative, look at marketing automation tools, and tech stacks like Python to help automate and streamline your data processes and reporting, as well as any future analytics you might need. So I hope I recap that conversation um, as well as possible. Julie and Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for talking to us. And as a reminder, each month listeners will release a new topic. So please subscribe to graduatetv.com. Julie and Jeff, thank you again. And until next time, I'm Brittany Schaff, and thank you for listening to Fundraising Forward.